Okay, so uh, this episode, we got to lay down some ground rules. Anytime any one of us mentions a trip to Europe, traveling, uh, or riding a bicycle through Europe, you get, we're going to ring a bell. Okay. okay. So those are the rules for this episode. Um, Aaron, you have a story this week to get us, this time to get us going? Yeah, so we went to Barcelona this summer. <laughs> yeah, okay. right out of the gate. Uh-huh. Okay, keep yeah. going. Went to Barcelona and wanted to check out the, you know, the new super IAs, the, the, the new super blocks that, that they're doing there, where the city of Barcelona has um, set up these nine square block chunks of the city where, you know, you can no longer drive through these neighborhoods. You have to either drive around the edges or if you have a car or truck, you can kind of drive into the center and then back out. Right. And so what they're doing is they're repurposing all this public space in the middle of the block they're turning into playgrounds and ping pong right, tables right. and um, outdoor movies and all kinds of other stuff. So that that was cool. We did a lot of biking. Checked out the they're doing these um, <laughs> biking in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. But you know, really nice like two way protected bike lanes in the middle of big avenues, and you know our kids could totally bike right. you know safely and all that. Anyways, we come home. We land at JFK, and there there almost needs to be a a word for the experience you have when you you know, come from one of these like great biking European cities and you land at JFK and you're just in this like exhaust filled cab honking. See, here we yeah. should have like a really honking. loud we should have a car horn. horn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, need, we need a sound effect. But so we, we get in our like rickety new, you know, taxi of the future van right. with all of our luggage. <laughs> taxi of the future of 2005. <laughs> right. and, the, and the poor driver just seemed like he was in really grumpy, bad mood, not yeah. in good shape. Like a lot of these poor cab drivers yeah, are yeah. now they're like to- anyway so we're we're driving home down the that like conduit belt parkway mm-hmm. right aqueduct racetrack hell zone and all of a sudden we just get this fudum 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 oh, oh that's the worst taxi with a flat tire and, and the guy like we could have pulled over in like right. two different spots he keeps like driving down like the highway <laughs> and i was like are you gonna pull over you this, have- this that was not his first rodeo <laughs> yeah. was, he's done this before so he pulls over in a grassy median on oh, the belt man. parkway like there's cars like <laughs> zipping by like 70 miles an hour we all just start unloading into this median like my <laughs> wife and two children and all of our like barcelona luggage oh my god <laughs> and the guy is like on his phone calling someone and we just start trudging across the median toward somewhere toward like aqueduct parkway your welcome racetrack. to new york and the guy yells hey you owe me 15 bucks. <laughs> I was just like, welcome to New York City. You're home now. Yeah. Oh, man. It's time for The War on Cars, a podcast about, well, cars that are just everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. They're killing us with convenience. Baby boomer wheelchairs. <laughs> God, we're going to get that's, in trouble. No, that's, we're going to get that. in trouble. <laughs> okay. But some, some of my best friends are baby boomers. This is all we got. Yeah. My parents this, are baby boomers. This is all Gen X has. Yeah, that's it. I'm Doug Gordon. I'm a TV producer and Safe Streets activist. Online, I'm known as Brooklyn Spoke. I'm joined by Sarah Goodyear and Aaron Napperstek. Sarah's a novelist and a journalist, and she writes a lot about cities. Aaron is a Safe Streets advocate and the founding editor of Streets Blog. Today, we are talking about cities and more specifically, their mayors. And about who's getting it right. Who's getting it wrong. And who is Bill de Blasio? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's his own category. I guess so. So speaking of mayors, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've joked 
I guess only half joked really about running for mayor on a platform, a very progressive platform that includes a top to bottom restructuring of how we use cars in our transportation system here in New York, uh, getting cars off sidewalks, putting a bike in every garage. You know, we wouldn't even have garages. They'd be turned into apartments. Yeah, cars are not going to do well under my administration. That is a fact. So here's the thing. I have only joked about this on Twitter, but there's already dark money being organized to mm-hmm. yeah, organize against me. Yeah. Well, the all-powerful bike lobby is obviously pouring money into your campaign. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the all-powerful car lobby that is airing these ads oh, okay. that you might be hearing on the airwaves this week. Doug Gordon believes you can ride a bike to work. He thinks kids should be able to walk to school and to the playgrounds by themselves. He thinks the city should take precious parking spaces for your car and turn them into parking for a dozen bicycles or even electric scooters. Electric scooters? Come on. He even wants to charge motorists for entering the busiest parts of the city. How's that gonna work? If you drive, you can't afford to take a chance on Doug Gordon. Paid for by CPAC, the Committee to Protect American Cars. <laughs> I'm in wow. trouble. I'm in trouble. Wow. Your, yeah. your campaign yeah, is doomed. They've got it's it over. out for you. I'm then. out. I is, that to, a Coke, I'm is that a Koch Brothers ad? That is definitely a Koch Brothers, mm. Mercer, yeah. all kind of, all the, yeah. those guys. Yeah. Like yeah. Jane Mayer is going to do a big expose on where that money's coming yeah. from. It's actually yeah. all coming from like the Forest Hill, Queens Neighborhood Block Association <laughs> yeah. Coalition. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. You never know who's part of the war on the war on cars. The war on the war on cars. (laughs) I've already written my concession speech, so that's basically (laughs) it. Um, So speaking of uh, dark money, we need a lot of uh, your money, if you don't mind, to support and produce this podcast. You can support us at Patreon at patreon.com, the war on cars pod, and donate. You get stickers at just the $2 level, t-shirts, a little higher than that. And um, yeah, I mean, who knows? We might end up giving away bicycles or we're going to get some great premiums for the people who really are ready to throw down for this. So the funny thing is we got uh, the good people at Timbuktu gave us a bag, a deploy convertible backpack and pannier or pannier, if you want to be French. I Mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) And it got snatched up like within two days. So thank you to Timbuktu and thank you to the very generous donor who got that bet. Yeah. And we'll yeah, be riding great. around That's with really it. That's really nice. Yeah. So if, if you don't live in New York, you may have heard of the great progressive savior, Bill de Blasio. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's how he is positioning himself, how the media in other cities might be positioning how him. How the right is positioning him as, you know, this sort of progressive demon. Yeah. Right. Well, I wish. Yeah, I actually <laughs> wish he were as bad as the right wing makes him out That's to right, be, because yeah. then he'd actually be yeah. probably pretty good. So what do we need to know about Bill de Blasio when it comes to fixing New York City, right. fixing cities, and climate change? Well, so Bill McKibben of 350.org loves Bill de Blasio right now. He's giving Bill all kinds of praise mm. at every opportunity for divesting New York City's pension funds from fossil fuel companies. But for People who actually live in New York City and work and visit New York City, I feel like the de Blasio era will be known as the time when traffic congestion became just a crushing problem for the city, when New York City streets became full of cars and trucks and our mayor had no policies at all 
to, to reverse that or and, do and anything on, about on it. On the contrary, he has increased the number of city-owned vehicles, and he himself famously uses an SUV, oh, a no, convoy. Not, 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 one. not right. one SUV. Right. Three. Three SUVs. To drive 12 miles, right? Yep. It's 11 or 12 miles from Gracie Mansion on the Upper East Side to... To, to Brooklyn, his, his home turf, to have his experience at what once was his local YMCA, where he can... He can work out uh, with the people. Right. Not even a workout. He get, like goes on the treadmill and then and like, he stretches and then washes, stretches. washes I, his armpits I, in the sink. I actually, word <laughs> has it. I belong to the Park Slope YMCA, and I have been there many times when he's been there. And you know he's there because the cars are parked out front, and the security detail is downstairs. And this whole idea that he's sitting there talking to the people and trying to experience his old neighborhood is just garbage because. You can't get anywhere near the guy, and when you do, if you do, you're brushed back by security. So the idea that he wants to connect with the people seems a little suspect to me. Sometimes I think it's about the ride. It's, hey, look, I can take a massive SUV, be driven right. by the police. But look, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't actually have that big of a problem with his like personal, tra- I think sometimes we focus too much on individuals' personal transportation issues and but this guy is the mayor right so it's really more about his entire transportation policy which is the most when you compare it to what other mayors are doing around the world new york city's transportation policy is pathetic i mean he so he handed out 50,000 parking placards to teachers because he he feels like that's just a can, give an easy giveaway can you explain what a parking placard yeah, is this yeah, is a very normal unique cities don't even new york do this. sort of thing right government employees public employees of all kinds um have this ability in new york city to secure placards which they stick on the dashboard of their car or they give to their cousin and aunt and brother and they stick on the dashboards of their car and it basically is a get out of jail card to like park in front of a hydrant or a no parking zone or, or in some cases on a, on a sidewalk wherever you want wherever right. you want to put your enormous piece of metal that you use to get around right and it's a phenomenon that really um, blew up after 9-11 in lower Manhattan. It, was, it existed before that, but like all the sort of first responders drove into lower Manhattan and basically never left. And Bloomberg did some really good things to start to reverse the parking placard giveaway. In 2008, for example, he took away tens of thousands of placards from teachers because, frankly, teachers only have a limited number of parking spots around schools. But de Blasio just gave them all back. Yeah. So now you have all these teachers with parking placards. They don't actually have places to park around schools. And they so they just sort of put their cars everywhere. And it just it just is like one of the examples where he's he doesn't really see reducing cars and driving and car dependence as part of the job of the mayor. And when it comes to congestion pricing, which is widely acknowledged to be one of the most effective tools that could be implemented in New York, not just to reduce congestion and get cars out of the central business district, but also to create a solid funding stream for public transportation. He keeps pretending that he doesn't even understand what it is. I mean, his sort of faux naivete about congestion pricing and how it really works or would work is insulting, frankly, to the electorate. So I want to push back on Aaron a little bit. I think Bill de Blasio's personal habits do matter. I think my personal habits or any individual personal habits are not going to be the thing that fixes climate change or reverses the path that we're headed on. 
But let's say that Bill de Blasio felt that it was really important for all the school children in New York City at lunch to eat vegetarian and instituted a policy and kept going on and on about vegetarianism. We shouldn't eat meat. It's contributing to climate change. But part of his ritual as mayor was every day to go back to the burger place in his old neighborhood and chow down on a cheeseburger. I think that would be an optics problem. So I think that you and I can be judged by slightly different standards. You know, every once in a while I get a plastic bag. That's fine. Even though I try to use a canvas bag when I can, I bike to work. But look, I need to get in a car because that's the way our system is set up. But when you're taking a purely discretionary trip every day at a huge cost, three SUVs, not to mention the cop cars that have to wait for him at the at the YMCA, I, that's an optics problem. And know, politics but, is okay, optics. Okay, but if Bill de Blasio had, if he, was, if he was implementing congestion pricing and he was actually building out New York City's bus network and subsidizing yes, city bike instead of, of ferries, yeah, but, I but, mean, like, but it'd be I fine. Su- like, I submit that part of the reason he isn't doing that is because he sits in an SUV every day and glides along the FDR drive and, and reads his... Probably doesn't even glide. Who knows what he's traffic. doing. But, right. Right. But he, the point is that he is in one of these mobile living rooms and he doesn't yeah. care. And, and so if he had to get on the train, can you imagine if he had to get on the train yesterday when there was a waterfall at 47th Street uh, Rockefeller Center, you know, in the middle of this thing? Right. So, and no, and it's and it's true. And I mean, you look at like a mayor like Valerie Plant, the new mayor. Um, she's been around for just a year in Montreal. Right. All of her campaign literature. She's riding a bike. She wanted to be the mobility mayor. She ran on, you know, building bicycle superhighways throughout Montreal, closing down the big park in Montreal to cars, making streets safer. You get the very strong sense that she gets these issues because she rides a bike around Montreal all the time. Makes a difference. And there are other mayors around the world on Hidalgo in, in Paris. She also is seen very frequently riding a bicycle around. She has closed areas of Paris to car traffic. She, I think they're doing a car-free Sunday once a month yep. for the they entire year, that, yep. and it will go on indefinitely, where they close the center of the city to traffic. Here in New York, for comparison, we have Summer Streets, which is, I believe, 10, 11 years strong, and it hasn't expanded, hasn't expanded. beyond yeah. the three days in the summer. For just a few hours. What I love what Hidalgo is doing is when smog levels become too high by European Union or even French standards, she just basically closes down the city to cars. And the smog goes away in less than 24 hours and traffic congestion goes away immediately. And she fixes the problem. Whereas in New York City, what do we do? We warn old people and sick people and children to stay indoors. But here's the thing is that in American cities, as in contrast to a lot of European cities, there's this idea that we can have it all, that we will never have to be inconvenienced in any way by the fact that the climate is collapsing. And we'll be able to sit there and talk about, oh, you know, climate collapse is coming, but you'll still be able to drive everywhere somehow and magically uh, also reduce emissions. That's the game that Bill de Blasio is playing. He's trying to tell people that they can have their cars, drive them all over the city, spew exhaust all over the place, and also somehow be progressive on climate change because our pension fund is divesting. I mean, that's, it's just laughable. Right. I mean, and I I actually would argue it's not progressive even. Like, I feel like Bill de Blasio is an old school liberal of the model that we had in the, you know, post-World War II, like Mm -hmm. 60s and 70s Mm -hmm. liberal, where you can't, the sort of like that can't, you can have it all kind of thing Mm -hmm. feels very old fashioned to me. And in my mind, like an actual progressive 
would have a policy, would have a set of policies in place that were actively reducing car use and not just for climate and traffic congestion and economic reasons, but because like like Anna Colau, the, the mayor of Barcelona. A- Ada Colau. Ada, sorry. Yeah, Ada Colau. She, I mean, she frames re- reduction of automobile use as a justice issue. Yeah. It is for justice. is because poor people do not have cars. Poor people breathe the crappiest air in the yeah. neighborhoods closest yeah. to highways. Like it is a fundamentally progressive thing to, and also to give people transit, to give people cheaper, better transit. You know, that is in that, some cities a progressive in, Right. Cause. And in some cities in Germany, they're actually experimenting with making transit free, which is another thing that would go a long way toward equity in our society, but also toward the very real struggle to try to get people out of their cars. Fine. Look, the civilization is at risk. I mean, if you really believe what the climate report says, which I think, you know, any sane person does... This is human society that's Yeah, and we actually didn't talk about that. But so the the most recent news is that the International Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, released this report that basically said the worst effects of climate change are going to be locked in by about 2040. And that is the time that we have left to reverse everything, to decarbonize, to switch to renewables, to essentially restructure society so that we are not headed towards a planet that has... 2.5 degrees Celsius warming, three degrees, which would cause people to move from the equator region and would flood coastal cities and would cause agriculture to collapse. Like it's pretty dire shit. Yeah, and, you know, we've done this before. In World War II, people reduced their use of every kind of resource because they realized that there was an existential crisis happening for our civilization and they were willing to give up eating meat and they were willing to not drive and they were willing to grow vegetables in their own garden. Why don't we have that same level? Why are we asking those same things of people now? Because let me tell you, building a wall to keep out the people who live south of Texas is not going to work if the people south of Texas are in a crisis, the likes of which we're creating right now. But this is hard. You know, I mean, it's a democracy and these guys who lead us have to win our votes and this is not pleasant like i'm not voting for sarah goodyear on the like you know we're all gonna <laughs> die platform the, what's gonna happen we are, to my candidate yeah we already see the dark money campaign against doug yeah. for, for building one bike rack in front of his kid's school right i see what you're saying but you know why can't we why can't we appeal to people's better nature and say vote for me because i am the one who's gonna help you why we, they, no they, I, we can't i mean look, i'm sold look, look at the I'm, austerity I'm measures look at the austerity measures that, that politicians are willing to put into place, taking food away from poor people or taking, you know, basic health care away from right. people. They're perfect. Or libraries, you know, the things that they've done in, in the UK are amazing. They're just like, oh, we'll take away all of these things, but we're not going to take away people's right to drive I, I, everywhere. Well, OK, I just think there's still there's a pitch to be made, which hasn't really been made effectively in North America, where it's actually about making cities better. Yes. Like getting rid of cars is not a sacrifice. Like your commute sucks. I hear you honking on my street every day. You hate your car and you hate being in it. You just don't know it. Right. But like getting rid of your car and giving you like incredible public transit and incredible biking that your kids could use to get to school on their own. It would save you an hour a day of schlepping. 
there's actually a positive pitch to be made. Yeah, I, I don't. And no need one a, makes it. I don't need a politician to go around saying we're all going to die, so vote for me because they're not going to get elected. The world is going to end, so please give up your car because there are some people in our world who say, "Screw it, I'll take what's mine." And you know what? I'm in my 70s, and sorry, baby boomers, but you know, <laughs> the the rest of you guys can go screw yourselves. I'm gonna go drive to the shopping mall and go get my big gulp and who cares. But that pitch that this actually could be better, you know, if a Bill de Blasio or somebody like that really believed that this crisis was a crisis, they could figure out a way to institute all of these plans and say, this is great. Kids will get a place to play. They'll be able to walk to school. The ancillary benefit will be we will stave off the worst effects of climate change. But they're not making that pitch. But they're also need they need to do what these European mayors are doing, which is they need to stand in front of the heat and take it when it comes because there will be backlash no matter how you pitch it, no matter how you sugarcoat it. And in Oslo, for instance, where they have a multi-year plan to keep cars out of the central business district to reduce car use dramatically, there has been a huge backlash of people who are like, this is my right to have a car and drive it around downtown Oslo. And they are just standing there and saying, you know, we hear you and we're going to make some minor modifications to this. Yeah. But fundamentally, this is what's best for the most people. And we're going to just yeah, go like through with it. 88 percent of the people who actually live in downtown Oslo do not own a car. Right. You know, so it's like it, mayors have to just stand up to this. You know, there will be a vocal minority that will always backlash and always oppose this stuff. And what we see in case after case is like you just have to kind of stand up to that. And, yeah. it, and it works out. And the more you do, the more you can do. I think part of it is that, sure, you should be ready for that backlash. You should be ready for people to freak out. But you can't go into the war on cars uh, sacrificing territory before you've even begun. You should just go with your biggest and best and boldest plan. And if you have to modify it, great. So instead of taking away 10% of parking, we'll take away 9%. But I think what I see here in New York is that the city, before they even announce their plan, you can imagine the meeting where they say, this is going to freak people the hell out. We can't take away 10% of parking. Let's take away 3%. And they just cede that right. territory yeah. and, before and they even begin. And part of the reason they do that is it's awfully hard to stand up to the backlash when you're sitting in the back seat of an SUV. That's, yeah, that's my and point. And I think that that's really true. Now, there was another thing that we noticed was uh, that some of these mayors had in common, the mayors who were doing things right. What, what was that, Okay, Aaron? well, here, let's list them. Oslo, Mayor Marianne Borgen. Paris, Mayor Anne Hidalgo, London, Mayor Sadiq Khan, okay. Montreal, Mayor Valerie Plant, mm -hmm. Barcelona, Mayor Ada Colau. Ada. Ada Colau. Ada Colau. Please, apo okay. we apologize God, in advance so, for I pronouncing these names I know, I pronounced everything wrong. Uh, but so, yeah, so, so what? Those, what is that? Those mayors are, I think you named a bunch of women. All women and women one Muslim and, dude. And a Muslim dude. <laughs> so they are, they are, none of them are white men. Right. So here's the problem is that you know, yes, women and, you know, a lot of people of color realize there are problems and they're willing to stand up and take some heat. Who, who's not, uh, who seems to be not so willing to do that? It's, it's the white dudes, right? So like, when are the white dudes going to step up? Because the fact is that the white dudes still have most of the power and it's great that all these women are doing these things. And yeah, you know, women do a lot, but they need the men to step up too. 
someone is listening to this podcast right now is about to go on Twitter and do like hashtag not all white dudes. But yeah. guys, I'm just going to warn you, don't do that. But, but it is interesting. <laughs> don't it, do that. It's interesting that all these women are being elected now. I mean, so it, the, you know, the C40 network, the big the mm-hmm. ci- uh, 40 big cities that are sort of fighting climate change. Of the big cities, just a few years ago, it was only four women mayors, and now it's 15. Mm-hmm. It is a trend. And I actually think one of the really interesting races to watch right now in North America, I'd say the interesting race, is the one in Toronto, mm. where Jennifer Kiesmat, the really excellent city planner, is running against John Tory, the current incumbent conservative mayor. And Kiesmat is running with a pretty ambitious transportation platform for a North American city. Um, She wants to tear down the Gardner Expressway along the uh, Lake Ontario waterfront. It's going to cost like a billion dollars to just rebuild and and maintain that expressway. And if you tear it down and turn it into kind of like a surface boulevard, you could also build an entire new neighborhood on the lakefront in downtown Toronto. So there's going to be a real referendum there. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, interesting that it's like a female city planner who's who's running for mayor there and is proposing this stuff. Especially in the land of uh, Doug Ford and yeah. those guys who yeah, are Rob really... Ford. Rob Ford, Doug yeah. Ford, who, are, who have appealed to that suburban baby boomer driving... Well, and the, the, literally the war on cars, that phrase virtually comes from Rob Ford. I mean, he when he was first yeah. elected, he said, I am going to reverse the war on cars. Yeah. And he started tearing out bike lanes in downtown Toronto. But here's the problem with relying on cities and on mayors to do this heavy lifting when it comes to especially these existential questions like how do we reduce emissions enough to you know at least stabilize climate change? It is this democracy where, oh, well, you have a progressive mayor for four years or five years, and then oops, you know, you have uh, a flip in the electorate, and then you end up with a, a completely new set of policies that starts unraveling the policies you had before. And that's why I'm wary of this idea that cities are going to be but able what, so to what do. So en- what political entity is going to save us? I mean, it's not going to be federal government. Well, gonna, I mean, you look at states? the EU, uh, you know, one of the things that the EU does is it creates these standards that all the cities have to meet. And that's, you know, that's what's driving some of the change there. Hmm. I think I'm actually a little more hopeful about cities because I think, okay, so national politics, our presidential elections are determined by a handful of voters in a handful of states because of the Electoral College and then also with the House because of gerrymandering. You have vast tracts of empty rural right. they white people land. They have far more power than we do. But, you know, here in New York and in other cities, we have a pretty much a straight up and down yes or no vote. And my vote here in Brooklyn is the same as somebody else's vote in Staten Island. And I personally think there is a huge and growing constituency for safe streets, for bike lanes, for bike share, for pedestrian plazas, for a car-free, if not city, then at least car-free neighborhoods. And you will get more of that the more that you do. And I think you can overcome that. And the risk of a very progressive, ideal mayor, Doug Gordon, who does all of this stuff, then getting thrown out on his ass and replaced by Mayor Carhead is probably not going to happen. Are we going to have to give equal time to your to your opponent well, after that, that speech, yeah, Doug? Right, yes. <laughs> Can we edit in some very like patriotic uh, Sam the Eagle from the Muppets music? My name is that? Mayor Norman Steisel. Yes, I'm Doug Gordon, and I produce. Yeah. I, I approve this message. Um, yeah. But look, I actually think like cities need more power in the U.S. system. I mean, the biggest, <clears throat> the big problem we have that when you look at 
one of the big differences between European and North American cities is these European mayors really have control over their entire transportation policy. So in London, like Sadiq Khan, he, he actually is in charge of the buses. He's in charge of the London Underground. He can take congestion charging money, which they actually want to change. They want to update that to like a user fee so that if you're driving a big polluting vehicle, you pay more when you drive into London. Mm -hmm. um, but he can take that money and he can use it to deploy and build new buses out into the suburbs. You know, U.S. cities don't really have that. We're sort of beholden to these far-flung metropolitan suburban sprawl regions so that whenever an issue like the you know MTA, the New York City subway, the transit system goes to the state legislature, it's basically being decided by suburban legislators who don't want to spend money on it. Or, or a good example uh, of that is uh, the Atlanta metro region with MARTA, with their public transportation, which Atlanta itself isn't actually all that big, but it has this sprawling suburban sprawl county region that has floods of commuters coming into the city. And for a long time, because of racism, because of a lot of issues, they didn't want to expand right. public transit into, quote unquote, their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Toronto has the same issues. You know, it's like it's like this sort of combo of like very suburban sprawly parts within city limits and then a downtown core. And it's constant battle between the two. And some sometimes the city loses, which is, I guess, what your point was, Sarah, with the you know, yeah. sometimes you get a mayor, Rob Ford. Yeah. Okay. So given all of that, we're standing on the precipice of a, a massive crisis that's going to require drastic action. And we've seen some of these mayors around the world who are doing some great stuff, but clearly there's room for more radical action. You are the mayor of your own city. What would you do? What do you think we should be doing to fix this problem? Well, I think free public transit is is one thing and, and radically improving public transit and putting just an enormous amount of funding into into public transit because I, I you can't expect everybody to ride a bicycle. That is true, but you should have convenient, clean, efficient public transportation everywhere. Yeah, and I think you pay for it by putting some sort of user fee or tax on cars and driving. And the bigger the car you drive into the city, the more polluting the car you drive into the city, the more you pay. And a lot of that money goes toward transit, to biking, to making kind of the urban environment better. For me, I think I would have a target date of reducing the number of cars. I think we have a lot of yeah. cities that talk a good game about getting rid of cars, of increasing cycling, of increasing transit use, but don't actually look at the curb, don't actually look at who's driving into the city. So I think one of the things I would do is say by 2020, by 2025, we are reducing car ownership by 15%, 20%, 50%, and doing that by pretty much ripping the Band-Aid off and taking out parking. Yeah, it's really about on-street parking in a lot of ways, isn't it? And I do think that one of the things that's important in this is to drive home the idea that we are all in this together, that this is about our survival as a city, as a country, as a species, you know, to appeal to people's better nature, because I do think that that is something that exists. I do believe in people's better nature. People can be good. On that note, we want to hear from good people. So uh, send us an email at thewaroncars at gmail.com. Don't forget to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thewaroncarspod. Also, uh, re review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. That helps. Yeah. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. That helps people find us. That helps us rise through the ranks. Yeah. And any feedback you have, like, we really really, really want to hear about it. Somebody 
complained about some of the swearing on uh, on our earlier episodes. I, I tried to clean it up a little bit for this time, but I can't promise that I won't get really wound up again because this stuff makes me really mad. I was going to say, if you can't swear <laughs> with the impending uh, disaster yeah. that is climate change, I, I don't know what if you, you can swear about. If That's you can't true. swear when you're talking about Bill de Blasio, when can you swear? <laughs> I, I, I don't like to swear, but come on, what the Really? Come on. <laughs> Seriously. It's really... Come on, Bill. It's like a joke. It is a for joke. For sake, Bill. Thanks for listening to The War on Cars. This episode was recorded by Peter Carl. The music comes from Nathaniel Goodyear. We are produced by Curtis Fox. I'm Doug Gordon. Aaron Napperstack. And I'm Sarah Goodyear. Thanks so much for listening. A couple comments. I'll work on that mic stuff. You're better, Aaron, when you're making <clears throat> eye contact instead of looking down. Oh, yeah, you can tell. Yeah, you can, I can tell you because then Doug started looking at me and you're not engaging him. Oh, and you got to just, you, you have to be present for each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. This is yeah. about the conversation and yeah, not yeah. about getting anything right. Right. Um, you were a little off mark. That's yeah. Fine, I can kind of use a lot of I'll pressure. I'll be aware of that next time. And then, um, yeah, I stumbled around a lot, but that's don't worry, okay. I can clean a lot of yeah. that stuff up, and, and uh, that's not that's not the, the, the issue. I think you guys made some really good points. Yeah, I think yeah. it was that was a good one. I feel like.